0: Hello and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. Colossians chapter 1 verse 25 and following. To start off our message this morning, the series has been called The Starting Point, focusing on the importance of Jesus as the starting point in understanding, in living our lives, in uh, doing everything. Jesus is the starting point, and of course, Jesus is also the starting point for understanding Scripture properly and applying it to our lives. Uh, so, uh, uh, Colossians 1.25 says, I, Paul, have become servant of the church by the commission of God that God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. Now, key in on that phrase, the Word of God in its fullness, because it's crucial for our message today. What is the Word of God in its fullness according to Paul here? Well, then he spells it out the mystery that has been kept hidden from ages and generations, but that is now disclosed to the Lord's people. So this mystery has been kept hidden for the ages. And, uh, you know, someone might say, but, but they had the Bible, right? Yeah, but the Bible reveals, but also conceals. And so it contains a mystery, just like a good mystery story Contains a mystery, and the Bible is a narrative. It's a story from beginning to end. Of course, it has legal parts, but those form part of a narrative. It's a narrative from beginning to end, and it conceals some things along the way to reveal them later. Like uh, the Christopher Nolan movie, uh, 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 Interstellar, you know. Uh, How many have seen that movie? Okay, I'm a science fiction buff. I like time travel stuff that combines it all. Uh, and, uh, so if you watch that movie, and notice I didn't recommend it, uh, you admitted that you watched it. So, so, uh, uh, uh so anyway, you know, if you watch that movie, uh, you feel that there's something going on. You can't figure it out. It's just, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and it, when you get to the end, you find out, oh, and then even then, you're not sure you understand everything. You feel like you need to go back and re-watch the whole movie. Well, that's the kind of story the Bible is. You see, we can read it from front to back, but if to in order to really understand it, you need to read it from back to front. You've got to get the revelation at the end to make sense of it, and the sense you will make without the end will not be the right sense. I can guarantee you that. And so... Uh, So uh, that's the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I love the Bible, and I recommend that people read it and study it and apply its teachings to their daily life. In fact, I've dedicated my whole life to doing just this explaining, interpreting, uh, translating, and helping people do this all over the world. And for me, the most pressing issue wherever we go is how to understand, interpret, and apply the Bible. In this series, starting point, we are focusing on starting with Jesus and especially starting with Jesus to understand the meaning of Scripture. Of course, there are other ways to read Scripture, and I'm not knocking those uh, for various purposes. For example, some people read the Bible as a historical artifact to see what evidence the Bible may contain to help reconstruct a narrative history of the ancient Near East. Others read the Bible as literature and as an expression of the concerns and hopes and struggles of human beings. I remember when uh, one day I complained, I was maybe five or six, my mother was reading Bible stories, and I, this is so boring, mom, you know, why are you reading me this? And, uh, you know, just as a kid does sometimes, and my unregenerate heart at the time, and, uh, she explained to me, but Yancey, the Bible contains the greatest love stories, the most amazing adventures, uh, the most incredible conflicts that you'll ever read in any book. And so she helped me under, you know, want to continue to read by saying that it was literature. And that's good. That's not all, she said. But we believers read the Bible in order to know God. This is theological reading, and it assumes that the best way to know God and His ways is to read and deeply reflect upon what the Bible says. And I wholeheartedly agree with one all-important caveat. And I'm going to make a bold claim, and I'll prove it, and then draw some lessons from the claim that Jesus is the starting point for understanding and rightly applying all of Scripture to our lives. Or another way of saying it is that Jesus is perfect theology. Which is another way of saying that Jesus is the Word of God. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning." Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So one of the things that we can immediately establish is that the Word of God is actually a person. And God didn't just give us a book so that we could sort out our problems on our own. Yes, He did give us a book, and that book is God's Word that points to the Word made flesh. You see, it's a signpost that points us, and we need to pay attention to the signpost, but we need to understand the function of signs. The sign is not the thing itself. The sign is the signpost that encourages you to keep going until you reach the destination. And so, in all of our reading, uh, Old Testament or whatever, we need to understand that this is pointing us to Jesus. and I could use a lot of other metaphors to describe that, but we'll just leave it at that for for now. If we want to know God, the place to start is with God himself, because God is the only one who knows God. Matthew chapter eleven, verse twenty seven For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just stop and think about the breathtaking statement Jesus has just made. <clears throat> he and his audience had the Old Testament. Many Jews, in fact, had memorized the entire Old Testament. And yet he says, no one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the, uh, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. This tells us that the revelation of the Father and the Son, in fact, what God is really like, was still hidden as a mystery before Jesus, and that the key to understanding the Bible is Jesus. I don't think we can avoid that conclusion. Why would you want to avoid that conclusion? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the message in the Gospel of John. Now, we we need to uh, as we as we get our minds around that we want to fully appreciate all that god has done for us because the word the written word the bible is a grace given to us it is a means of grace and grace flows into our life through it just like a sign is a means to get you to your destination it's a means of grace for us so the word became flesh made His dwelling among us, we've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of His fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. The law itself, for example, he says, was given through Moses. So the law, the Old Testament, was a grace of God and is continues to be a grace of God for us and mediates grace to us. So, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, that's where this is all going. No one has ever seen God. And yes, it's true that in the Old Testament, there are plenty of stories where people said they saw God, or God appeared in this way or that way. But John is telling us that at a deeper level, no one has ever seen God. And so, we want to settle the nature of God by focusing on Jesus And the Old Testament points us in that direction and moves us along a path of learning and development so that we can fully receive that revelation. So it functions in that way. All right. So when we read the Bible, its laws, its poetry, wisdom, literature, all of that, and the Gospels and the letters of Paul, we need to do so with a crystal clear vision. uh that the purpose of the Bible is to point us to Jesus who is the source of life. We don't want a theology that leads us away from Jesus. Jesus himself cited uh, or or chided the Pharisees about their approach to Scripture in John chapter five, verse thirty nine through forty. He said, You study the scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about Me. Yet, you refuse to come to Me to have life. So if we see Jesus as the key to understanding the Bible, and I think that we can agree that that is true. What does the Bible do for us? What is its function in our lives? What is the proper sphere of authority for the Bible? How does that authority become operative in our lives? And let me put it down into as simple words as I can. The Bible supports the revelation given in Jesus Christ to the church by pointing us to a cross-shaped life, a a life transformed by the resurrection and, and filled with the Spirit. So the Scripture then is for us a sophisticated curriculum designed to lead believers into the life of God revealed in Jesus the Son. Take a breath. It's okay. (laughs) The sphere of authority, and what is that uh, 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 sphere of, of authority? The sphere of authority of Scripture consists in its power to transform us into the image of Christ in every way. You see, that's why we read Scripture, to become like Christ. Is it not? Okay? And so how does that power work in our lives? Well, the Scripture's power to so transform us becomes operative when it is read and pondered in the church, the liberating fellowship of the Holy Spirit. All right? So... The question that I, I guess we, we have to face and ask ourselves, is Jesus still the teacher of the church? OK? Is he still our rabbi? Do we still learn from him? Is he present to teach us? And that, uh, that uh, idea is opened up in Luke chapter 24, after Jesus has already died on the cross and has been resurrected. Uh, two uh, people are traveling from Jerusalem to uh, a town, Emmaus, outside of Jerusalem, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're talking with each other uh, about everything that had happened. They had talked uh, as they talked and discussed these things uh, with each other. Jesus Himself came up and walked along beside them, but they were kept from recognizing Him. He asked them. What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? I love the way Jesus teaches. What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. who said He was alive, and some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if they were going further. But they urged Him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So He went in to stay with them. And when He was at the table with them, He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight they asked each other were our hearts were not our hearts burning within us while we talked while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us so is jesus still the teacher of the church yes he is jesus said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus never left us. He didn't abandon us. He doesn't stop being the teacher. and Pardon me as I get my composure and try to come back to the message. But the church has had some spectacular failures in learning to attend to the Spirit of Christ in the interpretation of Scripture. One of the things we need to realize is that uh, Jesus reveals what's going on in Scripture all along, and He helps us by giving us some rules of interpretation. One of them is called, we call it, the golden rule. Matthew 7, verse 12. It's very simple. He says, "And in everything that you do, do to others what you would have them do to you. Because on this hang all the law and the prophets. Now, this is what we call a hermeneutical key. Hermeneutics simply means the process of understanding and interpreting a text. So it's a hermeneutical key to the Old Testament. And I wondered what it meant for years and years and thought, well, man, that's a very thin thread to hang the whole Old Testament on. But uh, in Israel, uh, I met a... uh, a Yemenite Jewish uh, scholar whose job it was to produce handwritten copies of the uh, Torah each year. And uh, he laid out his parchment uh, as he was showing us, doing a demonstration. And the first thing he did was to take a ruler and score the manuscript. Okay, so he scores the manuscript, which means he writes, He, he doesn't write a line, but he produces the impression of a line. And then he says what we do now is we hang each letter from this line. You see it's not a tenuous line that Jesus is talking about that the uh, the law and the prophets hang from yet no this is the line that goes on the manuscript before anything is ever written down. And so Jesus reveals this about the Old Testament which is one of the revelations about how we how we understand God's word from bible from the bible and and that is there from the very beginning before anything is written so you know you if your theology makes you a jerk you need to get a new theology so the church has had some spectacular failures in understanding and applying scripture some great great grandparents, including my own, uh, uh, in this group of people, would have been slave owners, uh, owners of uh, of hu- enslaved human beings, and others may have great great grandparents that were enslaved human beings, and. Evangelicals just not too long ago, many evangelicals in South and North, as this issue was being debated, uh, and it was, the strongest arguments, biblical arguments, were made by the slave-holding people, people who were pro-slavery. Strongest in in terms of convincing people at the time. I'm not saying that they're strong now, in fact, they're offensive And they should be offensive to us. And that goes all the way back to a little known story in the second century A.D. At that time, the Jews had uh, suffered some disastrous defeats in their uprisings against the Romans and many Jews had been sold into slavery by the Romans. In synagogues all over the empire, Jews funded the emancipation of slaves through their synagogues. They would gather funds uh, among one another if they were free, and they would purchase the freedom. And on those synagogue walls would go inscriptions of thanksgiving to the synagogue and to God for freedom from slavery. That uh, That was never a popular event or process in the church because the church tended to remain silent on slavery. For whatever reason, and we can go back to men like Ignatius, St. Ignatius who said that slaves should not hope to be set free from slavery at the common expense. We had to wait 1,800 years for the church to be woken by the Holy Spirit to deliver slaves from their oppression, and evangelicals defended the practice with biblical arguments, and that sounds uh, uh, horrible to us. But these were not uh, these were not fringe evangelicals. These were the this was the church, and it was a great debate during that time. As more and more from the margins, and it was the Quakers who first began among evangelicals to preach uh, against slavery. And slavery is something uh, abhorrent to God. And it was only in the late 1700s that a man like William Wilberforce, outside of Quakerism, began to make similar arguments. And the core of the argument was basically the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, for upon this hang the law and the prophets. And so, uh, on the evangelical side, in uh, uh, pro-slavery and and other uh, groups as well, Thomas Thompson published a book that uh, was called The African Trade for Negro Slaves Shown to be Consistent with Principles of Humanity and with the Laws of Revealed Religion. Even... The title is repulsive. And the arguments uh, are really interesting. Basically, the, the chief argument was a, a quotation of Leviticus chapter 25, 45 through 46, which grants slavery to Israel, uh, enslaving non Israelites forever if they wanted to. And the argument further continued that the Apostle Paul in the book of Philemon sent Onesimus back to his owner without requiring that he be released. Now, I think that's a bogus argument because I read Philemon very differently. He, yes, sent him back, but he sent him back as a brother in his family, not as a slave. So there's a diff- and And I can tell you, we have to make choices as we... Uh, interpret scripture, the question is, is our interpretation going to coincide with the spirit of Christ or not? That's that's the question. All right. So uh, thank God those issues, although they weren't they weren't uh, settled by arguments among theologians. It was more it was a theologian called General Sherman who marched through the South and put an end to that theological discussion. You can read all about that in a book called The Civil War as a Theological Crisis. I think every believer should read it by Mark Knoll. The lesson is that we must be careful and wise in our reading and applying Scripture. Simple and direct is not always better. We should never interpret the Bible in a way that insults the Spirit of Christ. What we know about Jesus from the Gospels should be like a set of guardrails in our interpreting the Bible. And I would recommend especially the Sermon on the Mount. So, how does teaching, how does Jesus' teaching, re, uh, how to read and understand the Bible, help us to understand what God is like? Okay, I wanna offer some suggestions. First of all, never forget the golden rule it is a rule of interpretation. And we should start with Jesus' teaching about that, because why would you want to start anywhere else? Pay attention to the way Jesus reads the Bible and follow His lead. And what that means is that as we venture into the strange world of the Bible, and there are some strange things in that world, we should invite Jesus to go with us. As we would invite Jesus to go with us anywhere that we go. With anything that we read or watch or take into our spirits, so Jesus does not set aside the commands in the Old Testament. what he actually does is he shows us that there is a deeper hidden meaning, and that's one of the things that he shows us in Matthew chapter five where he says, "You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but he he, he develops a deeper meaning that is in that conforms with who he is. We could go on and on about that. We don't have time to do it today. But uh in in uh the third is that we need to pay attention to who we identify with in the story. So, do we identify who do we identify with? We should identify with the sinners in the story and all of the human being are sinners because all of us are sinners. Right? But we should not identify with them as if they were our heroes in their sinfulness. Rather, we should identify with them as they are heroes in faith and as that conforms to Jesus Christ. So as we read the story, we should especially identify with Jesus. Martin Luther said there are two ways of reading scripture. One way will kill you because you are a sinner. The other way of reading Scripture will bring resurrection from the death to sinners. So I want to choose door number two. And I hope you do. Fourth, Jesus provides us with the ground and logic to understand God. And that is what I mentioned before. This is a story whose end... Resolves and reveals the mystery so that you will want to go back and reread and reconsider and reponder everything that you assumed about God once you see the revelation of the mystery. You see? You will have to do it. That's just the way we have to. So we read forward, but we also read backward. Alright? And we read again and again and again. So, here we are gonna land it. Almost done. Why did God give us the Bible? Number one, it is a means of grace. Grace comes to us through the Bible if we read it beginning with Jesus Christ. Second, okay, because it's... And and why did He give it to us? Because it's useful. All right? Say the word useful. It's useful. Now, what's it useful for? It's a tool, it's a curriculum that when we work through it in the Spirit of Christ will lead us to become more and more like Him. So starting with Jesus helps us to understand understand that and to see it clearly so that we can avoid confusion. This is the message of Second Timothy 3, verse 15 and 16 that talks about inspiration of Scripture. and And so, by the way, we find out why it's inspired, what its purpose is for, and how it operates. All right, so 2 Timothy three fifteen and 16 says, from infancy, that is uh, Paul speaking to Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. Through faith in Christ Jesus, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's why God gave us the Scripture. Isn't it wonderful? And I'm so glad that we have such a great gift of grace to point us to Jesus and for Jesus to help reveal that to us and to uh, for us to understand. It's, it's an amazing thing, and it has sustained faith through difficult situ- situations, disasters, uh, through the, the world gone crazy, because it is a pointer that leads us back to Jesus over and over again. Stand up. Thank you so much for listening patiently this morning and considering these words. And I want to invite you to seek prayer this morning. Uh, the, pray, uh, the prayer team is going to be coming up in just a second. And as we uh, uh, sing this last song, think about what do I want? Do I need prayer? Do I need help? Do I need God's help to sort this thing out in my own heart? Or maybe it's something else. Maybe you've been convicted about something in your life and you, you just need to seek forgiveness or pray forgiveness for someone else. Whatever the need is. Or, or maybe uh, you are struggling this morning with some physical ailment. Jesus is our, not only is He our teacher, He's our healer. Or some struggle inside that you need some encouragement for. Now's the time to seek God's presence, to receive prayer, to have someone come along beside you because God loves you and He loves you just as you are.